0: Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith.
1: I remember this day very vividly. I was in high school, I was waiting for one of my classes to for the bell to ring, and I look over across the room and there is a, there's the teacher and some students staring at me and talking, so I'm like, what? And the teacher says, we're just trying to figure out if you drink or not. Now, my, back, my background with, with partying and drinking was I chose not to, uh, I had a positive support system, I was part of a youth group, I had friends who also chose not to drink. So I say back with confidence, no, I don't. When well, the teacher says, well, I mean, have you ever actually been drunk before? Well, now the whole class is listening. So, you know, like my stomach's kind of in knots. I'm like, um, no, I, I haven't. And then the words I never thought, I thought the teacher would ever say, well, what are you afraid mommy and daddy will find out? And so them, you know, the color of my face has vanished. I'm, I said, no, I'm, I'm not. I just, I choose not to drink and neither does he, referring to my best friend in the class who had the same support system and the same beliefs all eyes on him. He says, uh, no, I, I actually, I do drink and I've been drunk several times, which was not, was not true. So I sit there and I feel all alone. It's a lot for a kid to handle in that moment. And honestly, I don't remember how that uh, class ended, but I went to youth group that night and my youth leader stops me and says, hey, your friend told me about what you both did today and how you stood up for your beliefs and you did what was right. And I'm so proud of you both. I was like, man, here I was all again, all alone, even when I did the right thing. Now, before you start feeling all bad for me, and I might've been the good guy in that story, uh, and some of you wanna give teenage Jared a big hug, uh, many other times was I the teacher in that story or my friend in that story. Because you see, I have a lot of regrets in how I treated people in my youth. And all of us have been on every side of that story, whether as a kid or as an adult. Sometimes we stood our ground, and other times we should have stood our ground with someone else. And other times we were the ones leading the charge against someone else. And sometimes we are the strong Christian, and other times we are the stay-at-home Christian. But we don't always get it right in this life. Sometimes we will let people down, and other people will let us down. Speaking of downers, if you don't know who I am, my name is Jared Bayless, and I'm the worship pastor here. Uh, No, I will not be singing this whole message, as some people have already asked me. My life is not a big musical. Now that that's out of the way, we are in the second week of of our series called Weekend Warriors, talking about putting on the armor of God, as Pastor Jeff mentioned last week. And this week, we're talking about standing your ground. And so our main verses are based on just two of them in Ephesians 6, 14, and 15. It'll be on the screens for you. It says this, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared now. So we're just going to break down each section of this scripture. And so the first one would be this stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. Now, real quick disclaimer, so every time that I preach, I feel like people don't know how to take me because I have a real dry sense of humor, okay? So if, if I say something that sounds like it probably sounded like it should have been funny and I don't laugh, it's okay for you to laugh. I'm going to do some funny voices, impersonations, and if I don't laugh, again, it's okay for you to laugh. Now, if I'm talking about something that sounds kind of serious and I laugh, well, I'm not sure what's going on there, but so that's probably not appropriate to laugh. So I guess... Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not really sure how to advise you moving forward. So just maybe be careful. Good job, you guys got it. That was good. First service got it too. Good job. Okay, so Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul, uh, and it says that he chose this sequence of armor like this because this is how a Roman soldier would put on his armor correctly. Now it's it's way different than how we get dressed. Like we don't get out of bed first thing and then we put on our belt and then we put on our shirt and then we put on our shoes and then we try to put on our pants. I mean, it's super funny to think about, but this belt served several purposes. So it held the sword and it also would hold the body armor in place and then that's what would rest upon it. So the belt was the foundation of the whole wardrobe. So I went online, I found us a picture that'll be on the screen here for you just to kind of help visualize this. Okay, so as you can see, that how the belt would hold this guy's six pack abs. And then those chiseled abs sat in an armor that would then rest upon the belt. Uh, So the belt held everything together. And so then it had these large strips of leather that hung down to protect the lower body and other uh, goods, as you can see there. And so Paul is saying, first, put on truth that truth holds everything together. Truth sustains us, and it may not always be visible, but under the surface, truth is our foundation. Because nowadays, truth is all relative, right? And truth can be whatever you want it to be, and we'll fight anybody to prove our truth. But the truth is that this has been going on since sin entered the world. And man has been lobbying for his truth ever since sin said it had the truth. And then someone says, well, I think it should be this way. And I said, well, I think it should be that way. And you have this God, and I have that God. And I define morality as this way, and you define morality as that way. And it keeps going on and on and on until we reach this great heated impasse, right? Well, suddenly, we need a mediator for humanity. So God, Yahweh, sent his son, Jesus, to be the great mediator, someone to help humanity find the truth. And so he gave us his words and the words of his father in documents of what we now call the Bible. And so now we can use the Bible as a reference for truth, and we can have truth forever until Jesus returns. And Jesus says that his words will never pass away as generations come and go. We end up killing him for that. But the good news is he's alive. Death couldn't hold him and he forgave us for all of that so we could be with him forever. And that is the gospel in an awkward minute. Okay. So Paul says that start with the foundation, <clears throat> with your foundation and your armor with truth. Everything rests on the truth. So let me tell you a story about a guy named Micaiah, he was a prophet of the Lord. There's a couple uh, full, full versions if you want to read this in 1 Kings 22 or 2 Chronicles 18, read it in full. But I'm just going to give us a quick summary of this ridiculous story, Okay. So there are these two kings, there's Jehoshaphat of Judah, super cool name, Ahab of Israel, less cool the name. But instead of kings, let's think of them like mob bosses, okay, like old school gangsters with Boston accents, right? Just like in the movies, it makes it way easier. So you've got Jehoshaphat and you've got Ahab. There is a country called Aram who they've realized there's a city inside of the country of Aram that they feel is theirs, and they're going to go take it back. And they haven't been to war with Aram for three years. It's time for some war. So they decide. So Jehoshaphat is visiting Ahab. He says, hey, man, you want to? Let's join forces. Let's go uh, conquer this city. So, as they're getting all ready, Jehoshaphat says to Ahab, He says, Hey, did you know, has anybody asked God about this? And you know, and how typically in the movies, like before they're gonna, the bad guys are gonna go do something bad, they always wanna have God's blessing. So everybody's like, oh yeah, definitely God. We gotta ask God about all this. So then Ahab calls in his prophets who are not prophets of the Lord, but they're prophets. And he brings in 400 of them, brings in 400 prophets. And he says, hey, prophets, you know, should we go to war or should we hold back? And the prophets, you know, they're all yes men. So they say, oh, absolutely. Yes, you should. The Lord will give you victory. Absolutely. And Jehoshaphat's like, yeah, I know, but like, is there like a, you know, a real prophet of the Lord we get asked the same question to, do you know anybody? And so Ahab is like, well, I know this one guy, but I hate him. Uh, his prophecies are nothing but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah. He is not wicked smart, okay? So Jehoshaphat's like, well, let's ask him anyway. So they go get him. This messenger brings uh, Micaiah into right to this hall. And right before he goes in, he says, hey, man, let me give you just a heads up. Like, just tell them whatever they want to hear and just, just say that they're going to win. And Micaiah says, let me tell you something, man. Like, I just say whatever my God tells me is true. So he's all right. So he goes in, he walks in, Ahab's like, uh, this guy. So he's like, all right, Micaiah, like, uh, so should we go to war or not? And Micaiah, super sarcastically, he's like, oh, yeah, no, you should. Yeah, you're going to win, I promise. And they're like, you shut your mouth and you tell us the truth. So he's like, all right, all right, all right. So like I saw this vision and there was all of Israel scattered on this mountain and like sheep and they're all scattered. And then God says that their shepherd, that's being you, Ahab, is going to die. So if you go into battle, you're going to die. And so in this big, great hall, I imagine this awkward silence. Till so Ahab's like, this is what I'm talking about. This guy, he's no good. Let me throw him in the river. And so Ahab's like, or excuse me, Micaiah is like, um, okay, so fine. I'll just tell you. So I saw this vision. God is sitting on his throne, all of his angel armies around him. He asks them, um, like, how can we get Ahab into battle? And a spirit speaks up and he says, well, I'm sure that if his prophets lied to him, that he would, God says, yeah, that's probably true. So these prophets before you, they're lying. And if you go into battle, you're going to die. Well, then suddenly out of nowhere, there's this prophet, one of the 400 named Zedekiah. He comes out of nowhere, slaps Micaiah across the face. They have this little spat. Then Ahab's like, get this child ahead out of here, throw him in jail. So he, so they're dragging Micaiah off to prison and, and Micaiah is shouting as they're dragging him away. Okay, well, if he comes back alive, then obviously God didn't speak through me, mark my words. Micaiah goes to prison. So Jehoshaphat and Ahab, they devise this plan. So Jehoshaphat is gonna go out in his royal robes and Ahab, since he is the target, will disguise himself as one of the warriors in armor in a chariot. So the, the armies go out to battle. Aram's people. He says, okay, here's the deal. When you see the royal robes of, of Ahab, kill him, don't even bother with anybody else. The army start to charge. They see some royal robes. A, uh, Aram says, there he is. Kill him. There's Ahab. Jehoshaphat has, the, oh crap moment. What did I sign up for? He says, mommy. And he says, Help me, it's, I'm not Ahab, it's not me. God spares him in that moment. Aram's like, oh, hold on, hold on, it's not him, it's not him. Everybody, cease fire, it's not him. And then there's this one guy, and we've all worked with him at some point. And he's like this, and he's like, what did he say? And he lets go of his arrow. And it goes flying into the crowd. And I picture Ahab's like in his chariot, like, do 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 And they're like, hmm? And he looks up and this arrow pierces him between the armor. Then he's like, hmm, oh, this is bad. This is really bad. And he says to his driver, get me out of here. It's really bad. I'm bleeding pretty bad. So then that sparks war. So they all go to war. Everybody's fighting. Ahab's men are like, run for your lives. We're all going to die. And they're defeated all the while that Ahab sat there and bled to death. And the dogs would lick up his blood. And the prophecy of Micaiah would come true. What a weird story, huh? Well, you see, Micaiah stood on truth, even if he was all alone. I mean, he was imprisoned for it. He was actually betrayed by other people who claimed that they followed God too. And here's the thing. Some of you have been betrayed and you've been hurt by people who call themselves Christians. And some of you have had something taken from you, whether physically physically, spiritually, emotionally. And for that, I am so very sorry because that is not Jesus's church. And some of you have experienced church trauma. And while I cannot replace what has been taken, I can tell you that his church is worth digging in and fighting for despite your wounds. And some of us have walked away because we felt like Christians are hypocrites. We walked away because the numbers weren't good enough. There weren't enough Christians acting like Christians, so we stopped being a Christian. And look, I I understand it. Like if you told me your story, I'd probably say that sucks and I don't blame you at all. When Christians hurt each other, it really hurts. You stop trusting Jesus because you couldn't trust his people. But this speaks to the power of community and the hurt that can be caused by when our community hurts us you're hurt because we all need community. And some of us have walked away from his church, but we still believe in Jesus. Maybe that's why you're watching online right now. But your disappointment in the community you hope for cannot be your basis for neglecting his church. It is the bride of Christ and you need her and she needs you. And even in disappointment there has to be forgiveness because life will come for all of us and I want to look somebody in the eye who will point me to Jesus and pray for me as life comes barreling down upon me and I can't do that if I stay away in resentment and disappointment and neither can you. But let me challenge us with this. When we walk away from Jesus because those that claim to follow him hurt us, We weren't really worshipping Jesus. We were worshipping people. And it's real easy to do. Because in the end, Jesus hasn't changed, even if his people have disappointed us. And in the end, Jesus will still ask us the same questions that he asked the crowds back then. Who do you say I am? Not who do they say I am. I will get to them in a moment and they will answer. But who do you say I am? Am I the Messiah? Was I your Savior? Was I the truth and the foundation that wrapped around you inside of the battle? Or was I just another variable in your life? And our answer can't be, well, there weren't enough Christians being Christians to make it worth believing in you, Jesus. Or I was all alone like Micaiah, and instead of putting on the belt of truth as my foundation and remembering you are still sovereign over my life, I walked away because the numbers weren't good enough. And we can't sing the songs, though none go with me, still I will follow, but actually mean, though none go with me, well, then I'm not going either. And look, I've actually experienced church trauma. I came to Element as just an attendee who was hurt by church trauma. And I was gonna get out of ministry, I was bitter and I was angry. And I sat in these seats and I shot arrows at Pastor Jeff as he preached not like real ones. It's a bit more obvious, you know, (laughs) but metaphorical arrows. And I saw red flag after red flag. I saw how this church didn't do this and that well, you know, my last church did this better. Maybe this is resonating with some of you, but here's the thing. I wasn't mad at pastor Jeff. I wasn't mad at this church. I was mad at Christians who had hurt me. And I thought that's what the church stood for. And then I'll never forget one Sunday, I was sitting in these seats, doing my same routine, shooting arrows at Pastor Jeff, and God intervened in my heart. And he spoke internally to me saying, I have equipped you with talents to help this church, help them get better at what they can't be good at right now, either step up or shut up. I was like, Okay. Because look, right now is the most important time in the history of our church. And some of you have been shooting arrows at us for months, maybe even years, but it's time to use the gifts that God has equipped you with to help the church, to help us. It's time to step up or, don't worry, I won't actually say shut up. No way, I would never tell you to shut up. No, that's what God knew I needed to hear. No, I would tell you it's time to step up and help us. We need your guys' help. You have been amazingly gifted with talents that can only help us. So put on the belt of truth, and the truth is, is that Jesus is alive and he's risen and it's all worth it. That Jesus says that the gates of hell will not stand against his church. So rest on that truth and despite my flaws and despite your flaws, there is healing to be had here and there is life to be lived through it. It's time to reset our foundation and put on the belt of truth and let's see what we're made of element church. Who's with me? So stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth. And then it says this and the body armor of God's righteousness. Well, the body armor in war was actually an identifier for soldiers to recognize each other and it protected them from all sides. And so Paul is saying, put on the body armor of God's righteousness. Righteousness is our identifier in this spiritual battle that we are all facing. And I mean, we can put on our armor every Sunday or maybe at our small group time, but righteousness isn't a weekend activity. It's an identifier of who we are and our actions will show our righteousness and none of us can hide it. I mean, we can try to fake it and we can talk the Christian e-speech that we think people buy or we attend the things that we want people to see us attend. But ultimately, the status of our hearts will eventually come out in our actions and we can't stop it. Let me tell you a story about Abraham. So Abraham in Genesis, God tells Abraham in Genesis 18 that he's going to go to the cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. And he had heard of the pride and power and sexual wickedness there. And if it was as bad as he had heard, he was going to destroy the cities with fire. Well, Abraham intercedes and he says, basically like, come on, man, you can't just kill innocent people. Can you? And so God's like, all right, well, for 50 people, I'll save it. And so Abraham's like, oh, cool, cool, man. That was super generous. Um, what about like 45? Would you do 45? God's like, yeah, I'd I'd do 45. And then he's like, oh, wow, that's generous. What about like 40? I mean, that's pretty close to 45. God's like, yeah, I could do, I could do 40. And he's like, okay, cool. Oh man. Okay. I'm just going to say it. What about 30? Give me 30, man. Would you do 30? And God's like, all right, I'll do 30. He's like, oh man, thank you, Lord. That is so generous. It's, well, it's just, and God's like, what? Like, well, I just, I don't know. It's just 20. Yeah. How did you know that? It's like, you've read my mind. And then he's like, yeah, 20. Would you do 20? I was like, yeah, I'll do 20. He's like, oh man, that is super generous. 10. Give me 10, man. Give me 10 people, God. And God's like, okay, fine. 10. Now go to bed. And he sends him to his tent. Well, what God would find, he would go to the cities and he would find it was just as wicked as He had heard and he would destroy these cities and he couldn't even find 10 people. He found three and he let them escape. That's all he could find. And the the, the three that made it were lot and his daughters. And if you know that story, they were even granted mercy. So God could find, but three sort of righteous people in thousands and thousands of people. You see our righteousness identifies us not only to each other, but to God. I mean, are we quoting scriptures to prove our truth whenever we need it? Or are we searching the scriptures daily and letting it read us? And are we praying long public prayers to prove that we seem holy? Or are we conversing with God on a daily basis, already having shared our trials and our burdens, and those that happen to listen in are just listening to a conversation between a father and a son, or a father and a daughter? Are we doing good deeds so that other people think we're a good person? Or are we serving people because the love of Jesus is in our heart and we can't help it, we want to serve others? And will God search our hearts and determine we're truly righteous people armed against the arrows of the enemy? Or will we be found posing as a soldier who fights for selfish desires yet claims to be righteous in that same breath? Because look... If you knew somebody was coming for your home to break into your home every single day, you would be ready. And if every day somebody was coming for your children and for your spouses and for your family and your friends, and they were gonna try to find new ways to get in your home, you would be ahead of it. Yet every single day the enemy comes to kill and destroy and invade our homes and we do nothing about it and we wonder why we can't feel the presence of God in our lives. And we let Satan come in every single day and he ruins our faith and he ruins our children and he ruins our marriages and we wonder where God is in all of this. Look, we cannot go into battle without armor and to expect victory. We cannot deflect the arrows that are coming at us if we only choose to put on our armor for an hour on the weekend. And we cannot call ourselves warriors of light for God on Sunday only to remove it tomorrow and embrace the darkness. That by a soldier's standard is not nobility, it is treason. And we are all guilty of spiritual treason, myself included. King David being surrounded by his enemies who were barreling down on him said this in Psalm 17, 14, and 15, by the power of your hand, O Lord, destroy those who look to this world for their reward. Ouch, but satisfy the hunger of your treasured ones. May their children have plenty, leaving an inheritance for their descendants because I am righteous. I will see you. When I awake, I will see you face to face and be satisfied. Theologian Matthew Henry said about these same verses, most men look on the things of this world as the best things and they look no further nor show any care to provide for another life. The things of this world are called treasures. They are so accounted. But to the soul, and when compared with eternal blessings, they are trash. Wow. Does our righteous living cause us to wake every morning to the face of God and be satisfied? Or do we wake every morning with the worry and anxiety that plagued us the night before? And many of us are not putting on the armor of God's righteousness. We're putting on the armor of this world. We're arming ourselves with trash. And we are wounded. And we're bleeding. We're dying. And we're losing every day. And we must arm ourselves with a life of righteousness, not a life of selfishness. And you and I can justify our lifestyles to anyone, ourselves included. We will do whatever, and we will talk ourselves into whatever if we want it bad enough. But come on, we know the difference. And none of us can fool God. So it's time to reset our armor and put on the belt of truth and rest upon it our lives of righteous living using the body armor of God's righteousness. Finally, it says this, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. When I was reading this, I was like, okay, belt of truth, sweet, like resting on God's body uh, body armor of righteousness, okay. And then I'm like, okay, put on your peace shoes? Like what, wait, what? Like what are peace shoes? And I'm like, okay, well, I look up online and it's like Birkenstocks and I'm like, what? like, no, like that can't be right. Like I'm not going to war in Birkenstocks. And I'm like, okay, well, and you know, like the, the soldiers were on the front lines and they were like, love your sandals, bro. Where'd you get them? And he's like, oh, these, I pillaged them from the last village. And he's like, well, pff, they look great. And he's like, thanks, man. I'm like, nah, nah. So I did some research and I couldn't really find like a really like good picture, but Roman soldier shoes They were actually made, they had brass or metal that ran over the tops and bottoms of them. And then on the sides, there was this thick uh, leather strap. And then on the bottoms of the shoes, they had these three inch metal spikes, not like a high heel, because then that that just makes it even weirder than it already is, but like all over the place. So like really dangerous football cleats, okay? And so as armies were preparing to go to battle, uh, they would line up their biggest and strongest men. And then it said that a a war would start by one side would charge the other. And the one being charged at, they would take these shoes, they would dig the spikes in the ground, they'd probably stagger their feet like this, you'd have your shield, you'd have your sword, and then they would brace for impact. And it said that those who were strong enough and they were not moved and could absorb the impact had a chance for a counter-strike. So it was actually less about being a good fighter and it was more about being strong and knowing how to resist what was coming for them first. But, but why does it say shoes of peace? I mean, how like, how, how can digging in your heels and letting your enemies slap you, you know, bring me peace? Well, the gospel of Jesus is also referred to as the gospel of peace, the good news. And when we are wrapped in the belt of truth at our core, Seating the armor of God's righteousness in our lives upon it and firmly planted and digging into the ground beneath us, we're ready because we know what's coming for us. We know it won't be easy and we'll have to absorb many wounds from the enemy, but the war is already over and we're just enduring battles at this point, aren't we? And when we know that our lives and our souls are secure, even as chaos surrounds us and the enemy slams into us, We have peace. That's why there's always peace inside of war. It makes no sense, it's an oxymoron. But when we have the gospel rooted in our hearts and the armor of God wrapped around us, what can man or spirit do to us? There is peace even as war is upon us because we're fully prepared. And all of this armor is actually defensive armor, except for the sword of the spirit, which Paul lists later. But that is the word of God, and that actually fights for us. So our job isn't to be on the offense. It's to be on the defense, and it's to brace for impact. But you see, many of us, we don't have peace, do we? No, we are actually barefoot, standing on gravel, And when the enemy comes or when chaos comes or worry and anxiety comes, one very easy shove and we come out of our stance because we don't really know what we stand for because we are so easily moved. So it's time to take a stance, but not our own stance, not our made up ideas that we try to pass off as righteous. It's time to take a stance with each other as believers in Jesus and start loving a hurting world. It's time to take a stance and plant ourselves firmly on the word of God. And here's a novel idea, actually read it. Wow. It's time to take a stance side by side as brothers and sisters in Christ, not on the offensive, but on the defense, knowing that even as chaos surrounds us, We're strangely calm and confident that God is on his throne and you and I don't need one. I mean, if I put on my armor by myself up here and I get all my armor on, I get in my stance and this whole room, you charge me no matter how strong I am. And I'm pretty strong, but like no matter how strong I am, you will eventually overpower me. And I can call myself a martyr for doing that. But what a foolish soldier who takes on an army alone. Now, if half of this room, if you guys all come up here, we all get our armor on, we get in our stance, we're shoulder to shoulder. How much more can we absorb and get ready for what's coming at us? And when we look at each other side by side... We strangely have this peace that comes from the gospel written deep in our hearts. And the world can bring its chaos, but we will not be shaken and we will not be moved. Because we will love when a world won't love. And we will pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith. And we will be a source of strength and walk through life as it comes barreling down around all of us. We will be a point of strength, not a point of contention. And we will unite in a society that is oh so divided. We will be the light in the darkest of places. And we will not be moved even if the enemy brings all he has and it will hurt. But it will not kill and it will not break the church of Jesus Christ. Now, this does not mean be brash and disrespectful and you drag Jesus' name through the mud and you call it righteousness. No, the gospel is the gospel of peace, not of war. So stay close to his church and his people and let's unite together and let's brace for impact. So stop trying to do it on your own and start arming yourself with God's armor daily, not weekly, not yearly. It's time to reset our armor and start using it correctly. So let's stand our ground, let's stand together, let's be strong and let's not be moved because every day there is a war for your soul and mine. So who wants to fight alongside me? Jesus said in John fourteen twenty seven this, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So let's stop trying to find peace in a world that cannot and will not give it to you. Only peace found in Jesus is what can satisfy your heart. And to satisfy your soul, it is what it craves. But it is a gift. And we have to accept that gift first. So let's unite as believers and reset our armor or put it on for the first time if you never have. And if you haven't accepted this gift of peace and the gift of salvation through Jesus, I would love to talk with you, a staff member, somebody in the back in our prayer tents would love to talk with you about what it means to accept this gift of eternity through Jesus. Thank you guys so much for listening to this. I hope it was as helpful for you as it was for me. Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you that you allow us to see these arrows. You give us a way to protect ourselves. And God, the war is already over. Help us remember that. Help us to remember we're enduring battles and help us to rally around each other as believers. Help us to walk side by side. Help us to find our stance to brace for impact together. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are. We want to give you praise because you're worthy of it. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, uh, as I mentioned earlier in service, this is the most important time in the history of our church. We've got a pastoral transition happening, and you guys have been awesome. And, but the biggest question you guys have had is, like, what are we doing next? And so we want to help do, uh, share some of that. So I'm going to invite Pastor Derek up, and he's going to kind of lay out some of the roadmap for what's coming next.
0: Thank you, Pastor Jared. Uh, My name is Derek Mowry, and I am the executive director here at the church. Uh, Two weeks ago, on September 12th, Pastor Jeff shared with you that God is calling him and his family into a new season of ministry. And uh, at this time, he doesn't really know exactly what that calling is. He just knows with certainty he's to step into the new year open and ready for what God will have him do and where God will call him. He'll continue to serve as our lead pastor here at Element Church through Sunday, January 9th. Uh, Then we are going to send him out with our blessing. Um, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I'd be back to share with you some of the next steps about that that, uh, pastoral transition process. So if you could bear with me, we've got some boring stuff coming your way. Um, The day after Pastor Jeff read his letter to us, the notice of his resignation went out to the leaders and churches in our denomination the evangelical church two things are set into motion by that number one if from those leaders a qualified pastor expresses interest or calling to fill the position here he will be evaluated by our conference superintendent and be given an overview of the timeline for our transition process number two at the same time we began taking steps towards placing an interim pastor most likely a retired pastor who will make himself available to our church to bridge the gap between Pastor Jeff's departure and the hiring of our next lead pastor. We expect the interim pastor to be appointed by November 30th, and the interim pastor will preach and help carry vision, provide leadership for our church staff, and be available for pastoral care needs. The official search process for a new pastor will go as follows. Lean in, I know you're ready to have lunch. Um, If no viable denomination leader experiences a call to the position within a few weeks, we'll begin a national search to fill the role. The national search process will officially begin November 1st with the application period for the position opening January 10th, the day after Pastor Jeff preaches his last sermon here. Um, The leadership council or our church elder board will conduct interviews of suitable candidates And we'll eventually vote on who will become the next lead pastor here at Element Church. We'll continue to provide regular status updates and ask for the congregation to pray over specific milestones throughout the process, much like I'm doing today. Uh, You can find an outline of all the upcoming uh, uh, updates to the process on our church website under the transition tab. If you go to the website, there is a little tab with a button that says transition. Um, Anything new timeline wise, any information we're gonna post that there for you so that we can keep you um, updated on that. Um, So why an interim pastor? Some of you may be thinking, uh, what what is an interim pastor? This sounds kind of churchy. Uh, Placing an interim pastor or a temporary leader between Pastor Jeff's departure and the hiring of a new lead pastor is an effort to promote the health and well-being of the new pastor as well as being prepared for a hiring process that will likely take many months to complete as flawed humans we get caught up in the comparison trap in nearly every any in every area of our lives a church like ours just wants to get back to normal so in other words we want a leader we want a new leader just like the one that left The unrealistic expectations we all fabricate puts an unbearable burden on the soul of that incoming pastor. By creating an intentional gap between leaders, we allow more space for our minds and our hearts to recalibrate to reality and be ready to welcome a new pastor. The next live update uh, that you'll have from the stage will be from Jay Forseth. Uh, He is our conference superintendent for our denomination. He'll be here on October 31st uh, to preach, to to discuss the transition, and to share any updates we might have in the process at that point. Uh, Your leadership council is another layer of support for the staff and congregation as we work our way through this transition. And I have a few of those folks here today, and I'd like to just quickly introduce them to you. You'll see them around the building. All of them serve in different capacities, in volunteer capacities around the church. But they are part of our leadership council, and I wanted you to be aware of who those people are. So you can put a name to the face, face to the name, however that works. And... um, and just offer them as a layer of support in addition to our staff. So if you happen to have questions about the process in the coming weeks or months, or you miss an update and you just kind of wonder where things are at, Leadership Council is a great connection and anybody on our staff as well can give you those updates. But I'd like to just have a couple of these folks stand quickly. Um, I've got uh, Linda Grout here. Uh, She is on our Leadership Council. And then I've got Scott Bates next to her. Thanks, Scott. And then I've got Charlie Reed uh, as well. And uh, in addition to those three individuals, we do have two other people on our leadership council who are are unavailable today. Chris and Spiker uh, and uh, Chris Eisenberg are both uh, very active in other areas of the church. Uh, I just wanted all of us uh, to understand that there is a layer of support there to walk through the season with you. And... um, Again, if you have any questions, I direct you to that transition page. And if you need further explanation of something, a staff member or one of our leadership council can help you with that. Um, I'd like to close us in prayer today, and then we'll let you get on to that lunch that I can see all of you need. Heavenly Father, God, just thank you for this congregation, God. I thank you for uh, the message that Pastor, Je- or Pastor Jared delivered today. Thank you for speaking through him in a powerful way. God, I ask that you would give each of us the ability this week to apply just a little bit of what he had to say, uh, what you had to say through him, and God, um, just help us to serve those around us well and to live uh, with, the, with the belt of truth, and um, God, I just lift this congregation up to you. I'm grateful for them. Thank you for this leadership council. Thank you for our staff. Uh, we lift this all up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Thanks again for your continued prayer and your service and your unity and support uh, through this transition here at the church. Um, If you happen to have any prayer needs or want to talk to somebody, uh, our prayer team is available back at the Purple Tent. And that is all I have for you. Thank you and have a great week. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.